Welcome to Crescent City Crime, dear listeners. I'm Tracy. And I'm Brian. And welcome to everybody who has been listening to us. Every Everything helps, guys. Every listen, every review, every like, every comment, whatever it is, every follower on Instagram, all of you help us build this community. Every little bit helps, and it costs you absolutely nothing. That's right. Just a little bit of your time, and we thank you for making time for us and for spending part of your week with us. Thank you very much for listening always. Yes. And of course, our social medias are on TikTok at TBSmith68, Instagram, CCC NOLA Podcast, YouTube is Crescent City Crime, and we do have a private Facebook group that if you have to ask to join, and if you don't look like a weirdo, and that was my dog sneezing just now because she also does not like weirdos. <laughs> I will let you in to the group. And I say this as a weirdo myself. So, you know, if you're a weirdo that this weirdo does not like, you're not getting in. <laughs> yes. If you wear it out, if you wear it out, Tracy, which is pretty hard, then, then, that, then you're pretty weird. <laughs> yes. And not in a good way. And, of course, please, everybody, tell your friends about us and tell your enemies. Especially tell your enemies. Uh, we're, always, we're always appreciative of any ratings and reviews that you would like to give us. Any thumbs up anywhere on the Internet, however you want to do it. And, of course, make sure that you are subscribed to us on your preferred podcasting platform. And you can always subscribe to us on YouTube as well, where I put out teaser trailers. That's where... Uh, our correspondent in the field, David Ford, has his home for his very own videos. And, of course, episodes of the podcast are also released on YouTube, generally about a day or so after we broadcast on Thursdays. So that's all of our housekeeping for now. Oh, except aha, our final October episode will be dropped on Halloween. Hopefully we will... I'm going to bring you a story that I really hope that you don't know about because that's kind of my thing here. I try to talk about things that people generally don't know about. And that's going to be that. So that is our housekeeping. And Brian, are you ready to get into tonight's business of tonight's episode? Ready. <laughs> so, you know, all across America and all across the world, really, there's a lot of places where humans have never set foot. And what would what would you say if I told you that one of those places on this earth is our very own Louisiana swamps? That would not surprise me at all. The, uh, the Louisiana swamps are pretty vast. Mm. There are about 3 million acres of marshy Louisiana terrain that are so desolate and difficult to access that they're as primitive and uncorrupted by humans as anywhere else that humans have not set foot in, right? So, of course, this always lends to the possibility of creatures that we don't know about. I mean, think think about this. Like all, like all of our country, every region has a different sort of cryptid, right? Like the Appalachian cryptid, a- Appalachian cryptids, you know, like the Wendigo, Snallygaster, all that kind of thing. Uh, many parts of this country have had Bigfoot sightings, including Louisiana, right? Yeah. But, you know, a lot of the swamp tales, do you know where they come from? 
Where? France. Ah. Oh. <laughs> we come from France. Yes, that's quite, quite true. Yes. Now, the Acadians came from the rural areas of the Vendée region of western France. They were Catholic, and in the mid-1700s, the Acadians refused to sign an oath of allegiance to Britain and also refused to accept the Protestant faith. As a result, they were exiled by British command, and thousands of Acadian families were ordered to leave their homes. The exiled Acadians migrated to several different places, but one group of about 200 settled in Louisiana, and that is what became known as Cajuns. Yep, the French Canadians. The French Canadians. Yeah, and there is a there is a language I believe it is called Cajun, and it's it's derived from French. Right. Yeah, the Cajun French. Yes, and there's that there's that old saying amongst amongst Cajuns that if you're not a Cajun, and you're listening to a conversation between two Cajuns, you're not going to understand what they're saying. No, you probably won't. That's very true. Even in the way. Even in the way uh, many Cajuns speak English as well, the best comparison I have, of course, is if you're uh, if you're English in Great Britain and you listen to a couple of Scotsmen talk, it's gonna yeah because they have that very thick accent. Yes, they're they're speaking English, but it can be difficult to understand. Well, I see. I would automatically understand it because I have Scottish heritage. Just like how I would automatically be able to understand French because I also have French heritage, right? Oh, sure. No, sure. I'm, I'm kidding. I <coughs> did not do so well in, in uh, middle school French class. And I don't really speak any other languages very well. I can like I can read a word in, a cer in certain languages and deduce what it could be. But that's about as far as it goes. But anyway, that, that's enough of my poor grasp of other language talk. So, now, generational Cajun tales of old depict a very specific form of light as a sinister force with the sole intention to lead you to your own demise. This light is called Fou Folle. It is a French phrase which translates to marsh fire. So, what do you think of that, Brian? Creepy lights in the, in the swamps, potentially leading people to to, the, to their doom. It sounds like the the old uh, sirens call. Oh, like from the Odyssey. Yeah, like from the Odyssey, or the proverbial, uh, the so-called you know mermaids that sailors believe they saw. Right. Who are supposed to be? Who are supposed to uh, lure you to your doom? Yes. Now the, now, the tale goes that on the darkest of nights, you can see these mysterious glowing orbs hovering on the Louisiana horizon. And those who have witnessed this phenomenon uh, also have called them swamp fairies. Hmm. <laughs> the light is described as bright and flickering balls of light randomly dancing in the dark shadows of the bayou. They've supposedly been seen in different sizes, but the average size is said to be no larger than a candle flame. Now, some believe that the foo fillet were spirits of passed on loved ones returning to say a final goodbye. And for those people, 
delights are a sign of peace and good fortune. But in other cases, the lights were believed to be evil spirits who were intent upon laying a trap for unlucky travelers. The balls of light were thought to be distraction by the entity in hopes that someone would be drawn to the, to the light and follow them deep into the swamp and eventually get lost or drowned. And I will just say if, you know, there's a lot of swamp land out there. There's even, I'm not sure if Louisiana is one of these swamps, but there are certain parts of swamps that will essentially preserve a body because, because like there's not the creatures that would normally mess with the body or interfere with the body are just not there to do it. So they kind of become preserved in the swamp. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. Yeah, I forgot. I think it's a specific type of bacteria that the area lacks or something like that. Maybe if, if one of you smart people know so de- who's listening so, to this, you can leave us a comment. So a corpse decompresses more slowly. Decomposes, Decomposes yeah. more slowly. Yes, yeah, it does. Now... Parents would urge their children to never follow the lights in the swamp and explain that it was a demon or a monster trying to lure them to their early death. Now, you can dismiss this phenomenon as methane gas, but stories of lights still endure today and they even have existed outside of the swamp. Uh, One of the oldest cemeteries in Lake Charles, Louisiana, has had many sightings of glowing balls of light floating around the headstones, for example. Other reports say that people have encountered the lights along the interstate in between New Orleans and Baton Rouge, and some have said that the lights grow and and will charge at them in in an aggressive manner. So like it's like the light will get bigger as it's coming towards you, like it's trying to fight you or something. Makes you wonder what the state of mind of the people who claim to have seen this was though yes i'm being scully here <laughs> yeah. well i am Boulder, and i believe that the truth is out there of course the truth is out there <laughs> can you can you find it that's true we we might never actually know but even though you know maybe there is a perfectly logical explanation for these balls of light but you know people all across Louisiana continue to tell this story. So makes me feel like there might be something more there. Or it could be, could be methane gases. It could be in, methane in, gases. In, in, in the swamp. But what, but what about the sightings outside of the swamp? Well, there's areas of Louisiana that uh, used to be a swamp. Okay. Right. No longer a swamp. And there are times where you can still smell methane gas for one reason oh, or another. Oh, okay. So, so in other words, the methane might still be trapped and leak out on occasion, or enough gas will leak out to create these orbs? Possibly. I think, I think so. But, of course, it's, it's, still, it's still a mystery, and it, it could still be something... That we don't know something about. mystical that we don't know about for, for all we know. Yes. We we can't no one's been able to, to prove what it is. That's very so true. so you know it's not really up to us to just 
arbitrarily state what this is or okay. isn't only to talk about what it could be yes and as Gollum would say don't follow the lights oh yeah of course that is what that you know reminds us of very much so yeah uh, two towers right yeah two towers it was specifically right before or right before the scene I think like Samwise is like, oh, I, I smell a nasty bog nearby. And, you know, bog is also a swamp. So there was a, the Swamp of the Dead from the Great Battle long ago. But that's enough about this for now. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I am going to tell another story that perhaps Mr. Brian won't be able to poke holes in as easily. <laughs> Poke, poke. <laughs> and we are back. Now, we everybody has heard of a werewolf, right? But Louisiana has its very own version of the werewolf called the Rukuru. And the history of this creature dates back across centuries. While there are some different origin stories, the earliest mention of the Rougarou actually comes from medieval France. So France again. In a time of plague and war, the Rougarou was blamed for just about anything. Did your village get pillaged? It was the Rougarou's fault. Did a child disappear? The Rougarou got it. That kind of thing. Okay. Now the villagers would capture people under, under the suspicion of being shapeshifters. <laughs> well, well, this was this was medieval times. Yeah. Well, I, I think there there's definitely a way to prove that someone's not a shapeshifter, and I guess you'd have to imprison them and keep them under watch, and you know, over a period of time when they never they're in that cell and they never they never shapeshift, then they can't be a shapeshifter, right? That's right. So the court would ask the public if they believed the accused to be a shapeshifter. <laughs> okay. And usually the public agreed and the accused shapeshifter would be put to death. Now the French Catholics claimed that you would turn into a Rougarou if you did not follow the rules of Lent for seven consecutive years. Seven so, consecutive years. Yeah. So I guess if you don't follow the rules of Lent, for six years but you do it for that seventh year it's okay yeah i guess um, perhaps the seven years is derived from what is it the seven deadly sins right? probably so okay probably, yeah yeah okay just like the catholic church there's seven sacraments that's that's true too yes and but not everyone fulfills all the sacraments and actually you know not to get in a big discussion that no catholic can fulfill all seven sacraments Mm. Only some of them, you know, like, for example, like the sacrament of holy orders. Okay. Uh, you can't have children and be married and fulfill the sacrament of holy orders. Right. For example, right. Okay. you know, so that, that's why just like if you, you get married, you have children, you can't fulfill the sacrament of holy, of holy orders. Understood. You know, becoming part of the clergy, you see. So no one fulfills the seven sacraments. Oh, okay, so another part of the myth of the Rougarou is that it is born from lightning 
when it crashes across the sky. And another telling of the story says that the Rougarou is a person under a 101-day 100, curse from a witch or voodoo priestess. And people say that during the darkest of nights, the creatures who inhabit the Louisiana swamp grow quiet and the eerie howls echo through the swamp as the Rougarou searches for its prey. Now that's probably really creepy when you think about it. If you're sitting out there in a swamp, you hear all this, you know, insects and you hear the night animals shifting around and it just suddenly goes quiet. I don't think I'd like that very much. It suddenly goes quiet because other creatures sense this mysterious and very dangerous and deadly creature coming. You don't because you don't possess the same senses and instincts as these uh, other swamp creatures or forest creatures. And before right. you know it, this this werewolf that has the dexterity of a cheetah, probably, is on you and clawing you to death, biting you. Yeah, and now I, I don't know about everybody else, right. but I always kind of envision that werewolves could, because they're supposed to be shapeshifting from humans, that they could actually walk on their hind legs comfortably, much like a, a human would. They're, they could be bipedal or... God, is it, is it quad, quad, quadruped? Yeah. You can be bipedal or quadrupedal if you're a werewolf. That's what I think. Makes sense. Yeah. Now, the final piece of folklore that we're going to talk about tonight is the Honey Island Swamp Monster. And Honey Island Swamp is on the North Shore. It's a very large, it's a, a state park, right, Brian? Honey Island Park? It's like a uh, Yes, federal, it is. It's, it's a federal, federal uh, wildlife management area. And it's vast. Yeah, yes, it is. It, it, there's areas you can legally hunt and fish in that wildlife management area. To be present in that wildlife management area, you must have either a hunting license or a fishing license. It could be the annual fishing license if it's a fishing license, or it could even be a daily fishing license, like places like the sporting goods uh, counter at, say, the Super Walmart in Slidell. For example, you know, we'll sell you this this fishing license, right? Because if a wildlife management uh, agent, Catches a wildlife you. and fisheries agent, asks you for one of these licenses and you can't produce it, yes, you could be given a, a summons and fined, right? You know, um, and uh, there's also a very nice outdoor shooting range uh, in the wildlife management area that's managed by volunteers. Uh, it's in an L, it's in a nice L shape that starts with a pistol range and a, a 22 caliber range of steel targets that spin when you hit them, you know, 22 caliber only. Right. And a shotgun range where you can even use, uh, you can shoot at clay targets. You, you know, you shoot it in the, in the air and there's a rifle range and it's advice. The funny thing is, even if you pay the daily range fee there, uh, wildlife and fisheries can enter the shooting range and ask, just ask everyone for hunting permit or fishing permit. Yes. Whereas, so it, it, so the moral of the story is always have your permits. 
yeah, always have a have a hunting or fishing permit if you're going to be in a wildlife manage in a federal wildlife management area. That 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 is a fact. That that's one good way to stay out of trouble if you're going to a wildlife management area. Yes. Now, do you know who does not care about permits? The Honey Island Swamp Monster. That is correct. Yes. Just if you see the Honey Island Swamp Monster, don't pull out your permit. It's best to probably best to run away. Yes. Now. The Honey Island Swamp Monster, is, uh, it, it is said that the monster has a piercing and unforgettable cry. And it can rip out the throats of large creatures such as wild boars and has reportedly torn down elevated hunting camps from their pilings. Wow. I don't think the, I don't think the Honey Island Swamp Monster likes hunters. Uh, probably not. No. And this monster is a powerful legend that it has been the subject of numerous sightings and stories. I mean, if you talk to anybody in that area of Louisiana, they're probably, especially people who are from that area, not people who've moved there, people who are from there, probably have generational tales of the Honey Island Swamp Monster. Yes, yes, most definitely. I believe like most Cajuns who live in, Cajun country do believe in that in that legend. Now the roots of this legend goes back to the early 20th century and the story goes that a traveling circus train crashed near the swamp. The chimpanzees escaped and adapted to life in the swamp and the descendants of those chimps turned into something else entirely. Now, whether or not that part is true or whether or not it's more like a Bigfoot creature, we don't really know. But of course, what are exactly the origins of Bigfoot? We don't really know that either. However, in 1963, two FAA air traffic control men who are also outdoor enthusiasts went on a camping trip to Honey Island. And Honey Island is a 70,000 acre marsh. It's huge. It's a lot of space. Yes, it is. You you can easily get lost there if you go off the if you go off the beaten path. Yes. Yeah. The two men's names were Harlan Ford and Billy D. Mills. They noticed a potential campsite while flying over a remote area of the swamp outside of Slidell, Louisiana. It was prime hunting territory that not many people at the time had traveled to. Harlan Ford's granddaughter, Dana Holyfield, considers herself a swamp monster advocate. It's a very interesting title to claim for yourself. I love it. Yes. I love it. Yes. And she says that, you know, it was prime hunting territory and in an isolated area that few people had traveled. After my grandfather retired, he spent a lot of time at the camp documenting wildlife and he documented the creature that we call the Honey Island Swamp Monster. And yes, there is footage of this on YouTube. And yes, I will link in the in the show notes for anybody who wants to go see it. It's you can make the determination for yourself what you think it could be. It could actually be if it's a just a person in in a costume, or if it's the real deal. Now, something else of note is that there are, have been footprints uh, footprints left by this monster. And there are plaster casts of the tracks on display in the 
Honey Island Swamp Monster Museum. So you can... Where's that museum located? It's in Pearl River. Ah, uh, yeah, Pearl River is is uh, <clears throat> is close to the wildlife management area. Uh, now, now, that's in Mississippi, right? It's like on the border, like slide Elvis. I'm sorry, oh. Louisiana, Mississippi. Right, okay, okay. Right. Four. So cross over the Mississippi from Pearl River, pretty much. That's right. Right. <clears throat> now, Ford appeared on a 1970s television episode of In Search of with uh, Mr. Uh, with Mr. Spock, Leonard Nimoy. Yes, with Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And he described the monster as an, an unkempt behemoth, over seven feet tall with scraggly black hair covering its body from head to toe and piercing amber eyes looking out from a surprisingly human-like face. Almost like a Wookiee. <laughs> Almost like a Wookiee, except a Wookiee doesn't have a human face, really. That's true. That's true. Now, he said that at first he thought it was a bear, and then it turned around. And he said that along with his physical descriptions, he was he, Ford was the one who took the plaster cast of the feet, or the tracks. Okay. Now the, the tracks are four toed and have a web footed cross between that of a primate and a large alligator. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so web toes. Oh, wow. Okay. Which means that this creature is adapted at going into the water, which is very important if you are a creature that lives in a swamp. Yeah. That uh, leaves open the possibility that this is a creature that has existed in unknown areas, but ventured unknown areas of the swamp, unexplored areas of the swamp that has ventured out, right, and ventured back, more more than likely. Yes, and you know some area residents challenged Ford, like they didn't believe him, of course. And they claim that he and his friends created the swamp monster to secure their hunting territory. Maybe the guys were bored or they wanted to boost the local economy. But, you know, who knows, really? You know, we, we don't have any proof that Bigfoot exists, the Honey Island Swamp Monster exists, or anything like that. Yet, there are still... You know, videos out there these of these creatures that have not been explained, okay? And there are still people out there who will say that they've seen Bigfoot or the Honey Island Swamp Monster or whatever. So you can always leave it up to your own imagination. But Ford never stopped searching for the monster. And he wound up retreating from the public eye following the criticism. His wife, Yvonne was the one who found the video that he recorded of the Honey Island Swamp Monster after his death, as a matter of fact. He died in 1980. So if he had this footage, he never showed it to anybody. That's uh, that. That's very interesting. Now, one of the thoughts I have as a reason why there's not a ton of footage of these creatures, not only that, they are rare creatures mm -hmm. if they do exist, but also I think most some now some people might not want to admit this. Okay. But when you see something like this, you might be so shocked 
that you don't you think don't, about pulling your phone out? No, that you don't think about that. Right. Or say way back when you didn't even bring a camera with you. Right. Or maybe you did, but then you don't think about picking up this camera. You're thinking about making your departure because you're in shock at seeing this uh this thing that of course is not going to look like anything you saw in a movie why because it is real yeah it's not fake so uh, there is you're, you may feel terrorized you may and there's there's also the very real possibility that these creatures know how to live in this environment and you do not okay so their sense of smell and their awareness of their surroundings is probably great enough to where they do a generally a pretty good job of avoiding people there's there's no there's no doubt about that that's one of the things that makes their sightings rare if if they're out there which it's quite possible they are out there cuz there's there's always going to be undiscovered uh, species of, of, of creatures. That's very true. You know, like we, we always talk about how these creatures go extinct, but we don't think about the creatures that have not yet been discovered or what's possibly being made like right now. You know, could be, there's new species that are going to be created. Yeah, and they're they're going to they're going to be living in places where we haven't been and quite frankly don't really want to go to no i'm i'm not going out to honey island to to go find the swamp monster oh no 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 next time we go to honey island it, it's it's it would likely be to use the outdoor shooting range likely yes yeah which is as far as when you talk about rifles and shotguns Outdoor is always best because it's going to be easier on your ears, you know. That's very so, true. <laughs> yeah. Neil Benson, who is the owner of Pearl River Echo Tour, or, I'm sorry, Eco Tours, says that he doesn't care if people believe in the Honey Island Swamp Monster. He says that there's a lot of things in life that we believe in that we haven't seen, like God. I don't know what it was. I just know I saw something that day. Yeah, I do believe he saw something, mm-hmm. and quite frankly, no one, no one really knows what he saw. All we know is just is this name that we have given it collectively, right? And we call it a monster, but is it really a monster? Right. If we were able to speak to it, it certainly wouldn't say, "Hello, hi, I'm the Honey Island Swamp Monster. <laughs> nice to meet you." Uh, of course, it wouldn't call itself a monster, you know, if it was able to communicate with us. Right. Now, Neil Benson says that he saw the, the, the creature when he was 16 years old. He was paddling away from a duck blind and a pirog, but he saw something tall moving, and it was unlike anything he had ever seen move on two legs throughout the water. It wasn't a bear, and it wasn't a man. Okay. Right, right, yeah, yeah. I, whoever who I mean, whoever sees this is going to understand that that it's it's uh, it's nothing like they've seen before. Right. 
and likely yeah. yes and there is also a another one of the uh the the plaster casts of the of the honey island swamp monster tracks there's also one on display at the abita mystery house in abita springs louisiana which is not terribly far away from slidell yeah the e abita springs is is closer to is uh fairly close to let's see covington right yes yeah on the north shore mandeville covington abita springs slidell Museum owner John Preble likens the swamp monster to the ivory-billed woodpecker, a species that hasn't been formally observed or documented for years and is considered by experts to be extinct. People tell me they've seen the swamp monster and that they've seen the ivory-billed woodpecker. The swamp is huge and there are places where things can hide. And Dana is the real deal. When you meet her and hear her story, you believe it. Dana Holyfield has spent most of her life searching for the same creature as her grandfather. She has written books and produced documentaries detailing encounters across the Honey Island Swamp. She says that, I do this work because I believe my grandfather's story. It matters whether or not it's real because if it weren't real, a lot of people living around here would be crazy and would have seen things that are not there, she said. Which, it's a fair point. It's valid. It, it is, it is, yes. Mm -hmm. So Brian, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up our episode tonight? Well, uh, I don't know if we have time for it, but uh, for what? I tried my own hand at ghost hunting when, well, I, was, when you, I was a little kid. Well, I think we all did. And actually, I would like to talk about that more in our next episode because it's going to kind of be the theme. Yeah, I'll, ta I'll talk I'll about it then. When yes. I talk about seeing something that I thought was a ghost, but really wasn't. And I'll get into the explanation of that in, in the next episode. Yes, because actually I, I will also have a story about that to share, which is, uh, in the end, it is pretty humorous, my story is anyway. But I think it would make a great bookend to next week's episode when we're going to delve into the history of one of the most haunted places in the entire state of Louisiana. And it's probably not the place that you think. Just going to put that out there. Okay. <laughs> and my final thought is, not only is the truth out there, but so is the unknown. Yes. So keep an open mind because there is plenty. There's plenty of stuff, even in your own community, all across the world, that is unknown. Very much so. So, everybody, until next time, be safe, be kind, and don't feed the Rougarou. <laughs> it's 8 p.m., and do you know where your werewolf is? <laughs> All right, everybody, we will talk to you again next week on Halloween. Good night. Good night.